Harrison Price for Monday, November 27th, 2023. Coming to you from the Go Goat Sports Studio, built by Arbor Lee here at the iconic Wall Center, downtown Vancouver. A fantastic spot. If you're planning a holiday party, 55,000 square feet of striking indoor outdoor space, call the wall 604 893 7370. Matt Sakaris alongside Blake Price, Grace Ass, hitting switches, conducting things. And this show, a presentation of Applewood Auto Group. Applewood Kia in Langley wants you to check out the Seltos. He's a perfect car for everything Vancouver has to offer. Just enough space, just small enough for the parking lots here. We get rates from 4.99%. Take that one for a test drive or dip your toe into the electric universe with the Nero EV. They've got lots in stock with rates from 6.49%. Uh, but hey, it's all good at Applewood Kia in Langley. Mm-hmm. And uh, final few days here to drop a new unwrapped toy at an Applewood dealership in support of Toy Mountain. Today's poll question. Who or what are you most worried about with the Canucks? Andre Kuzmenko, Elias Pettersson, defensive depth, or other you can specify in reply. Vote at Sakarison Price on Twitter and YouTube. Uh, big picture here, defensive depth. For the moment, I voted Andre Kuzmenko. I know there's a lot of talk about Pedersen's cold stretch here and potentially an injury, potentially two injuries. But we're back at practice with Andre Kuzmenko back in a top six role, Blake. Back into his spot. Yeah. Uh, but and, and with that our information and also just because of the enormity of the role that EP40 plays, that's, that's where I'm going to direct my attention um, in the poll question is, you know, as the – as Pedersen goes, uh, probably so goes the Vancouver Canucks. And I think that uh, never more has that been proven true than, than on the weekend where Quinn Hughes was spectacular all mm-hmm. weekend long. Um, but they still lose to the worst team in hockey. Mm-hmm. So Pedersen is the five difference on, maker. Yeah. Uh, five on five continues to be uh, a struggle. Well, Penalty kill, struggle. Only two of their last... Well, if you count shorthanded goals, I suppose four of their last sixteen right. goals haven't been even strength goals. Mm-hmm. Let's uh, we're counting the six on five goal too, though, right? Okay, but still, even that, sure. <laughs> There's still eleven Other than even these strength goals. They've got yeah. But no, well, I hear you. No, but I mean, Pedersen Miller at five on five all year, Blake have not. Well, I think the curious thing there is just considering how good they can be on the power play. Why mm-hmm. isn't any of that leaking over to massive five on five stretches and? Uh, we'll see, but I, I would I would take Elias Pettersson wowing us with any level of strength. Yes, <laughs> you know honestly, um, and his passes haven't been bad. Uh, that's for sure. Think of uh, a couple on the power play in particular, but it's been few and far between. And and we've said it, we said this when he was leading the league in points, and and that's where the receipts come in handy here. When he was leading the league in points, I think you, I, Jeff Patterson, we all said. Does it feel like he should be leading the league in points? Like it, it was a weird statistical anomaly because the eye test wasn't telling us that he was tops in the league. He's wearing tape on his wrist. I know Patrick Johnson joined us last week and this says he thinks it's a groin injury. Perhaps there's multiple ailments here. There's now a four-point gap between Elias Pettersson and Quinn Hughes and JT Miller now for second place in the NHL scoring race behind Nikita Kucherov. And speaking of... Second place, the Canucks have ceded that in the Pacific Division to the hard-charging Los Angeles Kings, mm-hmm. who have won five in a row. They continue to be undefeated on the road this year, a spectacular 9-0. and 
It's the same number of points for the Kings and the Canucks going into Monday's play at 29. The Kings have three games in hand there. And perhaps the astonishing part as well, we were talking about how good Vancouver has been in regulation, not requiring overtimes or shootouts to win. 13 of their 14 wins are in regulation. Well, the Kings have matched that now too, Blake. 13 of 13, every single Kings win has been in regulation as well. So we know it's a tough division. We're going to see Vegas on Thursday night for the first time this year against the Canucks. And they have some uh, making up to do after a 5-5, five and 10-game five, game stretch, which, uh, and look, the schedule is more difficult. We all get that. But uh, regression effectively has set in here a little. I said this uh, after the win on Friday versus the Kraken. That, that was the big win. Because, to, you know, obviously that was the tougher foe between them and San Jose. And all that stood between them and a real reversal of the narrative was a win over the San Jose Sharks. You beat the Sharks, you have a three-in-one week. Yep. With your only loss, a very acceptable loss to a fabulous team in Colorado. You know, you've got, you have got you go three-in-one for the week and all of a sudden you're six-and-four in your last ten. Like, if this is regression, bah humbug, who cares? You get a little bit more excuse for regression when you're five and five in your last ten. You've just lost to the worst team in the league. They beat the Sharks, and I, I, I would have been on this show saying, you know what? They're doing just fine. Yeah. there's no regression. Great, great week. Well, it yeah, great week. A, would have been a perfect weekend. And um, you know, Talkett was, and he's done, I think, a fabulous job this year of biting his tongue and messaging efficiently both to his room and to the market writ large, because, of course, that is what you're doing when you're a head coach taking questions from the media. But he was a little disappointed in the fact that they didn't get up and play better against the San Jose team that was also playing its second game in two nights on Saturday. Take a listen. San Jose's been playing good, and they worked hard tonight. And we didn't. We tried at the end to come back, and, uh, you know, you got to respect your opponents. This is a... It's a learning lesson, you know, playoff teams don't do this sort of stuff. Now, it should be mm-hmm. pointed out that they played early Friday in the day game on uh, uh, yeah, Black Friday. I don't, I, to me, it doesn't. It so doesn't, we're talking hours here. Yeah. Yeah, but, you know, still also, get to sleep in your own bed. Uh, the other thing is, is uh, and, you know, Blake and I are uh, well aware of this after uh, years of covering this team and knowing the intricacies of travel, the San Jose airport closes rather early. That's the bigger deal. When for you're me. flying in to San Jose past a certain point, you actually fly into Oakland, California. Take it a then bus. It takes you longer to get to your hotel in San Jose, so you lose some time there. It's a very good turn the San Jose airport has done the Sharks. Over the totally. Years. With totally. That, it's, it's seemingly the only... Uh, uh, airport in the NHL, which has a hard red line in terms of when it will accept a a charter flight. Speaking of charter flights, I noticed that producer Greg Shannon was posting on Instagram about the fact that they were traveling commercially with. Yeah. So times sounds, of- sounds like the broadcast team is off the charter flight now, which uh, can't make life easy for John Shorthouse, Dan Murphy, Dave Tomlinson, and the uh, team there. Because when you're commercially traveling... Mm-hmm. That means connections and weather and airport and flight delay. You know, the charter is easy peasy. You just walk on and you walk off and you don't deal with a whole lot there in terms of 
airport uh, airport time, but yeah, you, you if, sure do when you're traveling commercially. If Shorty sounds tired in February, we'll have, <laughs> we'll we'll, uh, we'll know the reason for that. But now, incidentally, I, I would say the Canucks on the judges' cards were the better team last night. Like not Saturday. by not Saturday. or sorry, Saturday, mm-hmm. yep. not by a lot. Mm-hmm. But you know, I expect well, it's to hard goal to be that. worse than that team. Uh, you know, when yeah. they do win. It's typically going to be because they get a good break or two. I mean, they are just so under-talented, Blake. But on expected goals, they were supposed to win that game. <laughs> and and they probably deserved one more goal in the final five minutes there. I mean, it was an unbelievable push by the Canucks. They probably deserved another goal. But deserves got nothing to do with it, to quote Clint Eastwood. And, and you lick your wounds and, and you lose to the worst team in the league. I'm going to say this, and it's something I'm not sure I've said all season long about the Canucks head coach. I think Rick Tockett made a mistake not coming back with Kuzmenko on Saturday. Sure he did. The uh, message was sent both to Kuzmenko and to the roster at large. They're scratching a guy from the first line. Second game of a back-to-back, you would like an injection of fresh legs. I know you want to keep a winning lineup together, but the bottom six did so much damage on Friday, and you could have used a, for my money, you could have used a, a Kickstarter in the top six with Kuzmenko. So I'm not surprised to see him back at practice skating uh, where he belongs. Are you saying you would have preferred Kuzmenko as the extra attacker when they pulled the net over to Sam, Sam Lafferty? Lafferty? Yeah, oh, yeah, okay. that's exactly what I'm saying. Well, especially too I don't... with the amount of games they've played recently, mm-hmm. right? Like, they're going right. to hit a wall. 10 and 18, um, or 17, and in eight different cities, as Jeff Noted. So, and not only would they be fresh legs from Kuzmenko, they'd be pretty damn motivated. Well, legs. exactly, exactly. And you know the old trope about not wanting to break up a winning lineup. Well, every winning lineup in the history of the National Hockey League has eventually lost. We had ta- we we started talking about this years ago, Blake. So why not get ahead of the matter? Yeah. Why not take a page from your load management colleagues in the NBA, or as you see in baseball, right? Like we're going to play our starting catcher on Saturday night. Or Sunday afternoon, not mm-hmm. both. Yeah, right. We we know we're lesser offensively, but the backup catcher, that's okay. Mm-hmm. Keep, keeping a streak going is not about keeping the same lineup going. No, it's no. About, it's about making sure you extract the most it, of the guys that and, you have. And to his credit, he has changed the winning lineup. Yes, this, earlier this year, he has made a change on the second of back to backs for the sake of fresh legs. So I thought we were staring at that. We didn't see it now. It looks like PDG or Beauvillier alongside Besser and Miller. Well, when they eventually got to the line, there were seven guys in top six colors to confuse the issue a little bit early on. Not intentionally confused, but that did confuse the issue. Um, But as they eventually got to three-man line rushes, it was PDG on the outside looking in. Um, Now, again, he still was wearing the right color. So this might be a – and this was only a practice day. It's not a game day skate. So I think, you know, the coach has the right – to first refusal here, uh, you know, game day as to where he wants to go. But it, right now, your betting odds are that maybe it's a PDG turn to sit. And again, this is a journeyman 30-year-old. That's not a terrible decision. Like, why no, not? No, no, And just back to the San Jose game, you put him in that game. He played well against them earlier this year. The worst team in the NHL. Like, that's a good little reset starting point. Work your way up from here. It's not like you're putting him against, you know, the Colorado Avalanche or Vegas, a team that might out physical, you know. You're talking Kuzmenko here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, this this was a a ramp 
to success for Kuzmenko to take on the worst team in the league. Absolutely. So um, let's hope that's behind Kuzmenko uh, for a little while. And then let's hope this – hey, this might have put a little bit of a scare into guys like Beauvillier. Like, uh, you, oh, you, I you think so. You wonder if Beauvillier saw so. seven guys in the top six colors. Hey, and going, and Kuzmenko got scratched last year too yeah. and responded well. And incidentally, it was 17 nights, 10 games in 17 nights. So that's, that's a beast. Mm-hmm. And a lot and, of and different we'll cities. Hear from Talkit, and we'll hear from Talkit um, with regards to the fatigue and how it got the best of them in welcome at coming up. But I continue to be wholly impressed by this head coach and sort of particularly as messenger and the way he's communicating with his club and the market at large. And I think catering a little bit to the personalities on the team as well in terms of how he's messaging. Now, let's talk about 5-1 in Seattle on Friday because they snap a three-game skid against their would-be geographic rivals down the I-5, and I felt like a little, a few seats might have been planted rivalry-wise. There were a lot of Canucks fans in the building. Well, Myers was a bad guy again. Uh, they, Tyler they, Meyer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They don't love them. Uh, they hate them some Tyler Myers. Perhaps they can give him a five-year deal in free agency this year. <laughs> uh, but there are a lot of Canucks fans in the building with the uh, American Thanksgiving holiday, and I know a lot of uh, Vancouver sports fans went down for the Seahawks on Thursday and then the Canucks on Friday. A bit of a chippy game, although I thought there was a little more fire in the uh, San Jose game as well. So a loud night for the bottom six in Seattle. Nils Hoaglander scored. Sam Lafferty scored. I realized he was playing up the lineup. Nils Amon straight up from Abbotsford with a two-point night. Teddy Bluger scores. Dakota Joshua scored. Connor Garland with a couple of assists. Assists. The problem is they went quiet in San Jose, that bottom six. Quinn Hughes scores in both games, though. He's now up to 11 games point streak. And that is the second Canucks defenseman to hit an 11-game point streak this year, Philip Ronick being the first, and that's never happened in NHL history. Two different defensemen with 11-game streaks. He goes for the record Tuesday against Anaheim, 12, Dennis Kearns. And double-digit goals are, you know, what, a week away? A week and a half away based on his current pace Something of play? Something like that. I, uh, I noted this tweet with Nils Hoaglander, who... Had a five-game point streak snapped in Seattle. After he scored against Seattle, more goals than David McKinnon, Jack Hughes, Jason Robertson, Kirill Kaprizov, Jake Gensel, Alex Ovechkin, Mitch Marner, to name a few. Mm -hmm. Highest goals per 60. And I was just going to get to your tweet, Grady, that it's the highest goals per 60 in the entire league at 2.21, and that's with a minimum 100 minutes, five-on-five time on Ice Ox, Brinkett, Connor Bedard are next on that list. And then how about Amon on Friday? Gets the two-year deal, two points, plus three, wins half his face-offs, plays 14 and a half minutes, including some penalty kill time. He was primary assist on the game-winning goal. Up there amongst all Canucks forwards in terms of time on the ice and shifts, straight out of Abbotsford. And so we've always said he's about a point per game in, in Abbotsford, by the way. He's a big, rangy centerman. Boy, if something has clicked for him, the light bulb has gone off there, and you're looking at an every night bottom six NHL center. Does that give them some options? Yeah. Does and, that and help the He was a pro in Sweden, remember, right. um, and, and that put him in good stead, but also might have uh, swayed people into thinking how old he is. He's only 23. Um, mm-hmm. And the fact that he got to a point per game relatively easily in the American League leads you to believe there's 
maybe a little bit more offense yes. there than we I, originally yeah, thought. I, I think that's possible. But, you know, the fact of the matter is, is he doesn't have to be a big point guy if he can be a contributor offensively Just a and contributor. be a very good penalty killer. Plus, if he can do better in the faceoff circle than last year, right? Because that was one of the things holding him back. You need your centerman to win. But I want more offense than last year. Oh, of course. Like 16 points in 68 games, that's not enough. So what are you looking at? 30 points 20, over 82? In a, a, 25 to 30 over yeah. 82, would you be happy? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. I think he's well, got but some. What was 16 and 62 uh, 68. out? 16 and 68. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I think he's got some low-key, sneaky value going forward because he's mm-hmm. cost-controlled now with that extension. Right. He's got a big frame to him, and he's a defensive first guy. Like He's never going to wow you with the points, but yep. you need those guys in your bottom six. And if you can work on face-offs and kind of... Remember Ray was talking about how lanky and the, and the wingspan to him, Matt. Um, I think this guy could be a valuable piece going forward, potentially, in the bottom six. Yeah, he's rangy. But you know, he affects space. And he's just another quiver. Like, the Canucks have a bunch of bottom six guys that all are showing some promise from Suter mm-hmm. and Bluger and, and uh, Joshua. Joshua looks Lafferty. pretty good as well. Love Lafferty speed. You know, and, he, you know, again, come playoff time, A, you have injuries, mm-hmm. B, you have ineffectiveness. You, you do like to change some lineups and get some new looks at the, in the bottom half of the lineup come playoff time. So having too many bottom six arrows. It's a good thing, and they don't cost you anything, so it's uh, it's promising to see another guy starting to develop. The game in San Jose Saturday, it's 4-3, but this game is there for the taking in the third period, and the Canucks give up a couple of goals before fighting back nobly and uh, having their chances to tie it late, getting a goal with the goaltender out. J.T. Miller with a three-assist night. Brock Besser with two goals. He now back into a tie for the league lead. Philip Ronick with the two-point night. As well, we'll we'll hear comment uh, Tockett's comment about fatigue setting in, and how that just can't be uh, in the welcome mat here. But I'm with you in terms of that's the worst team in the NHL, and you had everything available to you in terms of a great road trip, in terms of a great week, and of course keeping your standing in the Pacific Division. Uh, Canucks now down to seventh in the league in winning percentage or points percentage, but all things considered, you've got two home games here, and then you've got a showdown against Calgary on Saturday. Which is very interesting. And I say, and I, well, and I, I say showdown because we all know how the Calgary Flames started. We all know how both Alberta teams started. Uh, we also know that the Calgary Flames have been a little better here of late. And with 19 points in 21 games, and we'll see how their week goes prior to Saturday, but you are getting down to make or break time here for the Flames. We are past that Thanksgiving signpost where typically only two to three of the 16 playoff teams change station from that point in the schedule onwards. Calgary, of course, below that line. So you're about to find some desperate hockey teams on your schedule, and the longtime rival Calgary Flames are one of them. Frankly, the Seattle Kraken were were a little bit of one on Friday, Blake, and they lose a couple of forwards in that game. Bjorkstrom and Tanef both get hurt. So the process of elimination and who will be eliminating themselves from the playoff race is upon us here between now and the new year. And Calgary is squarely in that circle, needing some victories the, sooner rather than later. The Canucks have done a good job of winning four-point games already. And, you know, you if you... Um, Mitigate. And I'm not saying you're okay losing to the San Jose Sharks, but it's not a four-point loss. 
Um, if you could only win. Well, it is, but it isn't. I mean, yeah. traditionally, it's a Pacific Division team. That would be a four-point game, but not with this lot. They've won four times all year. But if you were told you can only win one of the San Jose or Calgary games, you know mm-hmm. which one you're choosing. It's the Calgary game. Um, so, you know, the, let's see if they can, again, mitigate here just a little bit. Um, now, all three games this week are in the division, so that – you know, pick your poison here. I don't think you you worry yourself with the Vegas Golden Knights, to be honest. I think they're going to be in the playoffs. So if the Canucks can only go 2-1 and one on this week, um, beating the Ducks and the Flames is probably the most advantageous couple of wins, but I'm sure they'll take the two wins however they can get them. But those would be the, the two bigger wins, if you ask me, because Vegas is going to find their way into the top three, I think, uh, regardless. Uh, incidentally, um, you know, Cam McCarr's been on a bit of a tear here for the Colorado Avalanche, and he's chasing Quinn Hughes. You mentioned um, JT Miller's near the top of the NHL scoring lead. Hughes is still on, on top of the defenseman scoring lead, and McCarr's right on his heels, three points back. They are lapping the field almost, though, those two. Victor Hedman is 11 points back of of Quinn Hughes still. Two-way race the rest of the year. It's a two-way race the rest of the I mean, honestly, which is going to make Norris Trophy voting a little bit more obvious. Like, if two guys are running away and hiding, they're on the ballot, and it'll just be somebody somebody else who's got more of a complete game. Everybody else is playing for bronze. Yeah, it's pretty impressive. It's kind of like an Olympic basketball tournament. Yeah, exactly. And incidentally, you know who else is in the bronze medal position is Philip Romick. You know, like there's, there could be two Canucks on the freaking Norris uh, ballot. On to football where, and we have criticized the cards, we have criticized the games, we have particularly criticized the primetime games this season, Blake. That was really good stuff from Philadelphia and Buffalo last night. Uh, again, it happens on a day where there's probably not, oh, Houston and Jacksonville was decent as well. But how about this from the Bills now, who... I mean, did anybody have Buffalo missing the playoffs this year? I mean, it has not been a good season. No. In Western New York, a 6-6 six and six football team, two and a half games behind Miami in the AFC East. The Bills are the 40th team since the 1970 merger to have 500 yards, 10 third down conversions, and a positive turnover margin in a game. They're the first team to lose in that scenario, teams were 39-0 and 0 entering today with that stat line. So they lose the game in overtime. Jalen Hurts and the Philadelphia Eagles, um, far and away the best regular season record and, and team, I think, as we round Thanksgiving Day, <clears throat> the American Thanksgiving Day. Although the play of the year from Coquitlam's Javon Holland on Friday. I had not sure I have ever seen a 99-yard pick six off a Hail Mary, let alone some of the broken field running that Holland had to do to get to the end zone. If you're not familiar, his father played for the Lions. He spent a number of years born here, spent a number of years here in Coquitlam before the family made a move back down to California, went to the University of Oregon, was a second-round pick of the Miami Dolphins, and has turned into one of the best safeties in the game. Al Michaels on the call. Can you believe this? That is insanity. That's as crazy as anything you'll ever see. And Al Michaels has seen a thing or two yep. from a football press box. And then there was analyst Kirk Herbstreet. Perfect. 
quote, if there's ever a play that embodies an entire season, this is it for the New York Jets. I, I was watching it at a local establishment in Kits, and the guy beside me went, that's such a Jets play. Huh? Does that not fall in with the butt fumble and everything else we've seen from the New York Jets over the year? How did you – Black Friday football. They're coming for Black Friday now, Blake. It's not enough just to own Thursday. I think they've served notice to college football and others who are used to loading up their Friday schedules that, hey, we are no longer punting pun intended, uh, on Black Friday. You're going to see more Black Friday games going forward. I, I, wouldn't, be su- I wouldn't be surprised if at some point you see a, a triple header Black Friday, although that may rob from the Sunday a little too much. Sunday's already pretty short uh, on this weekend. I like the Black Friday. I'm not a college football guy, so I I liked having something to watch, even though I only watched the first uh, half <laughs> because I was sort of done with it at 17-6 uh, to 6 and I saw where it was going. I mean, on Sunday, you got a short schedule as it is, Four games. And that's with everybody playing, Blake. Nobody gets the bye this week because they need to fill. They need to fill. Mm -hmm. Four games on Sunday in which both teams fail to eclipse 20 points. Four teams. Four games. Not four teams. Four games where both teams fail. Fail to eclipse. I mean, that... That's not what I want to watch. No. And, And sitting down... Like, I tried to watch Ravens and Chargers last time. Oh, no. I tried. Nope. Sorry, like a, a quarter in, I was like, I'm out. This is just not entertaining. And that's with one of the most exciting players in the game. Right. Quarterbacking the Baltimore Ravens. Carolina is making a change. Head coach Frank Reich and his lead uh, assistant, Deuce Staley, are fired after a 1-10 start. And you knew things were going to end poorly for Frank Reich because... There was all this buzz after they made the trade with the Bears to move up to number one that C.J. Stroud from Ohio State was their guy. And then suddenly it changed, and the Heisman Trophy winner, Bryce Young from Alabama, was their guy. And then there were comments earlier in the season from Reich that very much made it sound like Stroud was his guy and that he was overruled from above. So not on the same page as owner David Tepper, and guess what? You're on the unemployment line if you're Frank Reich. And uh, the other thing I'll say, and this from Pro Football Talk's Michael David Smith, I think the Rams have a better chance at the playoffs than people realize. They're playing well right now. They've got a fairly easy schedule. Nine wins should be enough for an NFC playoff berth. He's calling it, says Stafford at Detroit in the NFC wildcard round, which would be a delicious storyline if it were to take place. Rams are a 33% playoff bet from here. Seattle is down to 36%, Blake. And the Green Bay Packers are up to 43% after their terrific victory in Motown on Thanksgiving Thursday. Not a lot of great teams in either conference this year. We'll see if anybody is able to step up, emerge, and, and make us think differently of them in the final six weeks of the season. I looked at the Rams this week and so thought the exact same thing independently. I was like, they could make the playoffs. Well, the quarterback's good. Like, when the quarterback's healthy, he's very good. And if the Seahawks are sinking out of it, you know, maybe that's who the Seahawks have to watch out for is the Rams. And, of course, the Rams have potentially two difference makers at receiver when Cup's healthy and this rookie Nakua has been fantastic. So, you know, you take a look at, of course... Expanded playoffs these days, seven teams make it. 
when you take a look at you know who's stepping up to grab those those final playoff berths in each conference, I, I think you're looking at some mediocre teams. Uh, by the way, Schefter saying that that Panthers job might be hard to fill given the ownership and the future of the team, and that's not exactly going to be a marquee well, job I, to I, land. I don't think it is at the best of times, no. but if you have an interventionist owner who thinks he knows everything because he succeeded in the world of finance. yeah, There's even people talking about that team moving. Uh, you know that, that's getting shot down by a lot of the insiders, but that that innuendo mm-hmm. is out there. Well, the one thing about the NFL, it has not been adverse to franchise nope. relocation. In you got the enough past. money. You're strong enough ownership. I mean, yep. St. Louis, San Diego, you know, Baltimore, Cleveland, go through it over the years. Yep. Good fertile football markets have been abandoned by this league because, well, you know, a billionaire needs a few extra shekels for concessions. Well, they don't want to lose that said billionaire, right? If, you, if you're the NFL, if you're Roger Goodell, and you want to keep that particular billionaire in the fold because he's got a lot of dough, um, then you kind of yeah. let him go where he wants. I mean, one would think that Charlotte is pretty good football ground. I mean, south of the Mason-Dixon line, that is yeah, yeah. typically where the, uh, where the game uh, is most meaningful. Well, we shall see. Let's get to today's menu. It is brought to you by Greta. Check it out on West Cordova downtown. Fantastic spot to catch the games throughout the season. The playoffs, place to chill in the offseason. J-Pat will join us here, cover plenty with Jeff, including the poll question the week ahead. Kuzmenko's benchings, the bottom six in Seattle, Nils Oman. Rick Tockett's commentary on the club. We'll get to some hashtags, the best and worst of Twitter, including potential for a new fourth DP spot in MLS. To the people we go, Mondays and Fridays on Securus and Price. Always have time to take your tell me I'm wrongs, your hot takes, and your commentary notes on content you hear on this show or see on our YouTube channel. You can email us live at securusandprice.com, text 778 9680, the great clips text message inbox, of course, on Twitter at Sakarison Price. Let's get into it. I don't know if it was malicious, probably not, but I do know it was another WTF moment. My question to ownership would be was it worth it? And the architect, and I use that term loosely given there wasn't much architecture, more finger painting with this team. It's like the running of the Bulls in Pamplona. You know, someone is going to get hurt. That's what you all need to understand here right now we thought we knew what makes talk a tick and there was that famous story about him on a street corner at 2 a.m muttering angrily to himself about a loss to the seattle kraken last season the fire and brimstone that we that he brought as a player was sure to be the guy we saw on the canucks bench right well not exactly canucks head coach has clearly chosen when and where to pick his spots this season bringing us to saturday in his comments after a 4-3 loss to San Jose. Take a listen. Every team goes through these schedules and you have to play smart. You know, you got to good, have good angles, short shifts. Um, you know, you got to do your staples when you're, you don't have your game. You can't just, uh, you know, just, I, I'm tired and I'm, you know, I'm not going to do my, my staples. Like, you got to stay in it. And if it's 25 seconds, get off. So I felt we just had a, too many guys just not ready. Whether they were tired or not, um, then you, you know, then do something different, I guess. And as much as Tockett's criticizing them for allowing fatigue to affect them and for taking the cellar-dwelling sharks lately, he could have gone much further. Further, Perhaps he would have earlier in his Canucks tenure, tenure or even 
earlier in his coaching career. Either way, that was far from the lambasting he gave the team following a 2-0 loss in Philly last night or last month or from the post-game media sessions after he took over last season when long way to go was often the headline. The Canucks have been playing better and heeding his message this season and the coaches responded in kind with his post-game comments. Emphasis on kind because there have been occasions to rip the team and talk it has demurred. Perhaps a team that was so emotionally fragile in previous season has him biting his tongue. And if that's the case, it's a good read by Talkett, whether it was JT Miller popping off or Thatcher Demko retreating from doing any media. It was clear this team wasn't up to the scrutiny that a hockey crazed market often placed on it. As Talkett noted Friday after a 5-1 win in Seattle, everybody is waiting for us to fall apart, which, if nothing else, proves he is aware of the conversation happening around this team. So if Talkett is choosing not to pile on, maintain an even temperament, show patience, and communicate dispassionately, that's a smart pivot by the head coach. Shows an understanding of the players of his charge and the outside forces of this market. It's welcome out for today. We invite your feedback. Feedback channels as follows on email live at harrisonprice.com. You can text 778-402-9680. It's the Great Clips text message inbox on Twitter. I'm at Sakaris at Sakaris Price. And then welcome at a presentation of Great Clips. 37 salons in Vancouver and the Lower Mainland, all of them proudly Canadian-owned and operated. Sick Harrison Price from Wall Center. Presentation Applewood Auto Group. Hashtags are the best and worst of Twitter.com. Lead us off, Mr. Price. At Alex Gange Ruzic, all-time performance from Maxime Crapo, who just helped LAFC to a second straight Western Conference final with a win over Seattle. He made seven saves on 2.3 expected goals, ex- including this peach late on Joel Paulo. He has to start games for the Canadian men's national team in 2024. Saw this mm-hmm. echoed by others as well that... Uh, it's time to turn the page on Milan Borjan. Thank you for your service. Yes. And look towards the future. And despite some really nice play by Sirawa in Montreal, by St. Clair in Minnesota, it mm-hmm. is Max Crapo that should be getting the crown. Yep. And um, Houston beating Kansas City in the uh, other West semi. Yep. Upstart sporting Kansas City who played in the play-in game. Julian Gressel's Columbus got through. Mm -hmm. So it's an all-Ohio Eastern Conference, Mm -hmm. Cincinnati, Columbus, and LAFC Houston. And uh, we mentioned this story on Friday. MLS considering a fourth DP at Hard Journalists. The final decision on adding a fourth MLS-designated player slot for 2024 will be decided at the Board of Governors meeting on December 14th. Not a lock to be approved. Doesn't sound like the Caps are in favor of this, just reading the tea leaves. Well, it, it means the pressure to spend more money. Mm-hmm. So they probably don't love that, and they know that other teams will be able to spend the money. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, it means that the other teams can accelerate away from them. I can. We'll be uh, attending a Caps event on the 11th of December, maybe have a better idea coming out of that where the Caps are at. At Optus, for their offseason. At Optus stats, this is from Friday. 13 different NHL teams recorded a win on the road 
the highest total on a single day in league history. This breaks the previous NHL record of 11 done three times. This also ties the record among baseball, basketball, and NFL as well, with Major League Baseball having this happen five different times. Mm-hmm. And we we've, we noted this going back. Was it just last year? Was it two years ago? Home doesn't mean what it used to be in all the sports. Mm. But in hockey, it's starting to be absolutely the case. Well, there was a second record on Friday night that Optostats oh. tweeted on. Tampa Bay Lightning become the first NHL team to score eight-plus goals on 15 or fewer shots, regular season or playoffs. They beat Carolina 8-2 on Friday. They put 14 shots on goal. For the whole game. 53.3% shooting percentage, an NHL single-game record. Shots is a stat that goes back to 1955-56. This is damn near 70 years. I mean, the Canucks were... Darn close to that with their 10 goals on 33 shots versus San Jose. Ah, it's not 50. (laughs) 53%. Crazy. Welcome back, Andre Vasilevsky. Here's a gift for you. That's unbelievable. At Province Sports, our buddy Patrick Johnson wrote about this. Former Canuck Corey Hirsch joins Hockey Canada's board to, quote, create a better space for our youth. Um, Of course, he recently was doing color on the Canucks radio broadcasts. He's a mental health advocate. He's um, been very open, Corey has, with his struggles and with obsessive-compulsive disorder. He's often mentioned how society needs to change, understand mental health battles, especially amongst young people, better. Uh, Here's Hirsch, quote, We talked a lot about what my role will be, what I'll bring to the table. My role is going to be with people. They see me working we're working on the cultural stuff, on inclusion, on things like that. Well, long way to go for Hockey Canada, so I hope Corey can make a make a difference there. And then at Jim Matheson NHL, this Corey Perry situation in Chicago is awfully baffling. A quote-unquote team decision not to have him play. This guy's a possible Hall of Famer. We chronicled this on Friday as well, that he's uh, he's not having a bad year either. Like, he's having a renaissance year that could go back to, like, six years ago to to find an equal rate of conversion and point production for Corey Perry. And um, it should, in this day and age, Matt, it it has to be said, there is usually not this title lid on anything. And yet Mm -hmm. the Blackhawks, who have a reputation for secrets, of course, are keeping this one secret Mm -hmm. as well. Very odd. Lastly, for me, at awful announcing, Rex Ryan, quote, Can I just say this? Bill Belichick, please stop. Just name your dang starter. It doesn't matter. They both stink. Like we care about your team. Your team stinks. Obviously, there is some history there between Rex and Belichick when he was the head coach of the Jets and got over on some terrific New England teams more than most. Mac Jones was once again pulled yesterday for Bailey Zappi. The Patriots lost 10-7 to the Giants, and I'm sure it was an unwatchable game, a game we shall never speak of again. They fall to 2-9. and nine. It's the third-worst record in the league after Carolina and Arizona, and you know, they got a game in hand against Arizona, so lose that one and you'd pull into a tie. We also talked about this, how sort of mediocre the AFC is. They're two games back of every AFC team. So there's four bad, wins, and then there's four wins is the low water mark. Chargers, 
Titans in the AFC. And then there's two in New England that are drops down to. Are we starting to get the answer of who was the bigger force, well, Belichick or Brady? And yes, well, I think we're more than starting. Because, I mean, it's been a couple of years. Even now. Pete Carroll loses Russell Wilson, gets to a very middle of the road quarterback in mm-hmm. Geno Smith, yep. and still stays above 500. Yep. The evaluations, particularly on the offensive side of the ball with quarterbacks and receivers, have not been there for the hoodie. Yeah. And this was an issue at the receiver position, even while Brady was there. And so now you have this impotent offense. And look, you give up 10 points, you should win the game. Yeah. And, and it's like a weekly thing now that Mac Jones gets sat down. I mean, you got to move on there. Uh, that much is clear. Yeah. Damaging his reputation here. And as we've brought you these stories in the previous weeks, whether it's the Chargers, whether it's Washington, there is a lot of smoke about Bill Belichick moving on to a different job. But he's another reason why you don't. I mean, not the, not that he was a top five or top ten pick in Mac Jones, but it's why you know, like first round quarterbacks, like I don't know, they just yeah. And I think a lot of people talk themselves into Mac Jones because he, you know, was this terrific decision maker, mature, you know, all that thing. All that all the intangibles Mm -hmm. were there for Mac Jones, but the uh, perhaps the raw skill of playing quarterback in the NFL wasn't. And that's hashtags for today. It's Harrison Price from Wall Center presentation, Applewood Auto Group. And at Applewood Auto Group, the deals right now are coming fast and furious. At Applewood Nissan in Surrey, you can check out the Rogue, which is, of course, one of the best sellers financed with 3.99%. Or maybe try your hand at an electric vehicle. A huge stock of Leafs are available, rates from 5.99%. At Applewood Nissan, it's all good at Applewood. Poll question today, who or what are you most worried about with the Canucks? Andre Kuzmenko, Elias Pettersson, defensive depth, or feel free to go off the board other and specify in reply. We will put that to our next guest. Rinkwide's Jeff Patterson, our Canucks reporter after, uh, well, Jeff, after a busy weekend that was, and we'll look ahead to the week ahead here with the Canucks back at Rogers Arena. First, answer me the poll. Where's your greatest concern right now? Yeah, I think it has to be Elias Pettersson, uh, guys. Uh, he played 24 minutes and nine seconds on Saturday, second most ice time of the season, over 10 minutes of that third period, delivered the huge hit on Kalen Addison. And I know everybody's looking for injuries. That doesn't strike me as a guy that is playing through a core issue uh, to be able to play that much, to launch himself into Addison the way that he did. Uh, but I come back to the evidence presented, and that is the fact that he's passing up shots right now uh, he's got the one goal in the last nine games. And beyond that, he has 14 shots on goal in his last eight hockey games, like not even two shots per game. And when you see Quinn Hughes taking 16 shot attempts, that tells me that, you know, I think they recognize that Pedersen's not a shooting option right now. And so I know on Friday after the morning skate, talk, it was asked about it. Uh, Pedersen himself kind of bristled to Farhan and said, you guys are fishing. I hear that you're speculating. Um, you know, that would protest maybe a little too much in this situation. So something's going on there, but he's not the difference maker that he has been. 
And this is a guy that had 19 points in his first 10 games of the season. He had a 15-point lead on Connor McDavid in scoring on Remembrance Day. Two weeks later, that's down to four points. McDavid obviously catching fire, but part of that equation is that Elias Pettersson is in neutral. And I know he's still among the NHL scoring leaders, but uh, when you see the way he roared out of the gates and was dominant on a lot of nights and you know impacts the game and the two-way game, uh, there's just a lot going on, or maybe it's a lot that's not going on with Elias Pettersson right now that I am a little concerned because you think back to the uh, All-Canadian division with no fans in the stands where the wrist ultimately was an issue that forced him to shut things down for the season. I'm not hearing any kind of, I want to be clear about that. I'm not hearing any suggestions that that's where this is going, but there has to be an explanation for this great stall out in the month of November, because uh, this guy was packing on the points. He was the league leader not that long ago. And right now, uh, it just sort of feels like he's playing at half speed out there. We're only saying the wrist, and uh, many noted that he's taping it now. Saw that on the bench, I, I just, but he is off. He's always taped it. I think I, it's, not according to uh, some the internet uh, sleuths that are. Out well, there. Ra- I saw Rachel Dory tweet that she he's not always taped it. So um, I'm going to take her word on that. That okay? So let's just say it's the wrist. Play this out with me for a second. Um, why why wouldn't you shut him down with such a big cushion? Like, why why wouldn't you sort of give him some time? I know it's going to be hard to win without him, but you've got a cushion right now. It would be a damn shame to not have him in games if, in fact, you're sliding back to the pack. Let me ask yeah. you this though, guys: if he's injured and it's affecting him this much, why? Like, I've never seen him play more physically than I have in right. recent. Like, are you throwing yourself at guys if? you're feeling tender and play like, I don't know. I, I it certainly fe- feels like his offensive play is that of an injured player. And yet he is body checking and playing physically. Like we've never seen him do so before. Right. But I do think that if he knows which area to protect, I mean, you can still lower a shoulder into a guy or he loves the reverse hit as well. I think you can still do that and protect the area that needs protecting. Uh, again, I'm not a doctor. And I have no evidence of this other than I've watched this guy at the highest of highs when he has taken over hockey games. And he's just not doing that right now. And it is a stark contrast from the month of October. So uh, that's where my concern level, as for your question, Matt, about why not shut him down? I, I wonder if it's the kind of injury that, you know, a week off wouldn't really do a lot for it. And, you know, I, I trust that he's working with the team's medical staff here and people can insert their own jokes there, but, uh, you know, hand injuries and Tanner Pearson and everything else. But uh, these guys have access to medical professionals and specialists. Uh, the Canucks know what Elias Pettersson means to them. Uh, I, I go back to the fact, too, that, you know, if he truly was hurt, you'd think that they would shut him down on practice days at the very least and try and keep him ready for games. That would be like the first step in this procedure. And he had the one maintenance day back on the 1st of November, the day before they went and walloped the Sharks uh, 10 to 1. Uh, other than that, he's been a regular participant in practice. So, uh, you know, it's sort of mixed messaging here because if he's hurt, you'd think there would be some maintenance days involved. He says he's not hurt. So why has his play dropped off? That's something that he and the hockey club have to figure out here because uh, it does go hand in hand. Uh, when he was going, they were going. They were 12-3-1 and at one point. They've now lost four of their last six hockey games. Blake uh, didn't like it from the beginning. I thought, okay, sit him down for the one game, but come right back with him on the second of a back-to-back. What did you make of the Andre Kuzmenko benchings, plural, on the weekend, Jeff? 
Yeah, I had no problem with the one on Friday in Seattle. I think it had come to that, that, uh, you know, there was talk that they had thought about maybe doing it in Colorado, but uh, the stakes were pretty high there, not that they weren't against the Kraken. Um, but look, Andre Kuzmenko's brought this on himself. Like his performance, uh, the coaches uh, fired shots across the bow. Things haven't changed here. Uh, took the puck in the face and missed the one game. And I don't know if that goes hand in hand, but, uh, you know, he was slowing down regardless. And certainly the game since he returned from the facial injury uh, has been a non-factor. So I think he had put himself in the line of fire for the coach to make the move. And then I think Saturday's decision was based more on the performance of the guys that did play and played well and performed on Friday. I think Rick Tocchet just thought, I'm coming right back with the same lineup. And too bad for Andre Kuzmenko. I've seen a lot of people say, oh, inject fresh legs. It's one guy. Like I, Maybe one guy with fresh legs can make a difference. Uh, but the way that he's been playing, he hasn't been a difference maker. So I hear those people that say that. I just think you have to go on recent form for Andre Kuzmenko. And as electric as he was last year and scoring all the goals and the big smiles and having fun, there's been next to none of that. So I didn't really have a problem with talking repeating the same lineup that he used on Friday with so much success. The problem was on Saturday, uh, it, you know, look who scored the goals. I mean, Besser had two and Heronica on the power play. There were five guys that found the score sheet on Saturday in San Jose. They were all the top of the lineup guys. You know, the bottom of the lineup, all the cookies on Friday and save none for Friday. And look, you're not going to lean on your bottom six to win you a ton of hockey games, but there have been a few already this season. But it would have been nice to see somebody rise up to the challenge and help out. And I guess Sam Lafferty thought he had early when uh, had the goal that was overturned there. Uh, but, you know, again, I just think it speaks right now to where the Canucks are, guys, that they pull the goaltender with four minutes to go and Sam Lafferty is the extra attacker. And that's not a knock on Sam Lafferty. He's playing hard and he's trying to give them what he can. But at the outset of the season, if I had said 22 games in, the Canucks are going to be in San Jose trailing and needing a goal and Sam Lafferty is going to be your extra attacker, you'd probably think, like, what in the world has gone on and what's gone wrong with this hockey club? So uh, they just have, uh, again, too many guys that, uh, and it's not for lack of effort, but uh, they've got to find a few other guys that are able to contribute uh, here or there. They got it on Friday night. It would have been nice to see somebody else uh, elevate their game a little yeah, bit. And guys, this, this I think it was uh, Lafferty's reward for Friday night, but uh, that's but this, absolutely a spot you want, Kuzmenko. You talk about it all the time. This is where Rick Tockett uh, does fade back into old school, right? I mean, we praise him for being progressive in a lot of ways, despite some uh, old school rapping. And this Blake, is old he has school. changed a winning lineup in the past, he and has. he has also changed a lineup on a back-to-back, -back, understanding that that's and right. Regardless, and I hear Jeff's point. It's one guy, but one is better when than bottom none. Bottom six guys sometimes. are bottom six guys for a reason. Mm -hmm. Their inability to be consistent over the course of their careers is why they find themselves where they find themselves. And expecting them to come back on the back-to-back -back nights, uh, I think was uh, was fool's gold a little bit. And uh, uh, you know, the the Canucks just needed a, another skilled player in the lineup versus the San Jose Sharks, mm -hmm. and and they fell one short, obviously. So right, and I, I you know. Nobody was worried about it with the result or the, the process on Friday. They win five to one because Kuzmenko lesson, you know, a message sent and we'll see if the, the lesson ultimately is learned here, but you're right. It comes down to a game where you're chasing on Saturday, you're down a goal. Uh, there's a 39 goal score. Now he's not that same player this year, but when you get in the late stages, uh, he still represents the idea of some offense better than a lot of the guys that Rick Tockett had at his own disposal. So uh, he's got to fall on his own sword. He made that decision. And yeah, maybe it came back to bite him just a little bit in that regard.
That said, they weren't good enough. And, you know, this idea of one guy in fresh legs at the end of this 10 game and 17 night stretch, three and four back to backs, everything else, the captain, I thought, had one of his best and most inspiring games of the season. And that's saying something for this guy that has been all world. He played 30 minutes, played 12 minutes of the third period when they were trailing, 16 shot attempts. If Quinn Hughes can dig deep and come up with that kind of effort, then why can't the rest of them? So mm -hmm. uh, this idea of just plugging one guy in to be a difference maker, I think the answer is this is the worst team in the NHL they were facing. And I know the Sharks have played better of late and they're better at home. And they had played the night before, or at least the afternoon before. So a 2-2 two -two game to the third period, it was all there on the table for the Vancouver Canucks. And they come through that 10-game stretch with a record of 5-5, five and five, which is reasonable and commendable. But 6-4 and four was right there on a platter for them. And... Uh, for whatever reason, they let it get away and then, uh, you know, tried to chip away and battle back and got within one, but ultimately fell one short. So I like Tockett's post-game approach. Like, you know, he wasn't giving them a pass at all right. uh, on the travel and the tough schedule. And I wrote about this at Canucks Army on Sunday. Like, yeah, it was difficult. Like eight different cities and 10 games. You know what else is hard? Playoff hockey is hard. Going a bunch of rounds in the postseason, that's difficult. And the good teams, they find a way to do it when the stakes are the highest. So this wasn't a playoff game. This was late November against the San Jose Sharks. But talk it saying, like, if they thought this was difficult, then, you know, this is a group that doesn't have a lot of postseason experience, quite frankly, and really doesn't have a bar to measure uh, against in terms of what's really tough at the NHL level. And so I thought, uh, good on the coach. He was having none of that that uh, – you know, oh, sure, mm -hmm. pity party for them that, yeah, it was a lot of games. In a, and it was a lot of games. But you know what else? Of those 10 games they just played, one opponent in the top 10 in the NHL standing, and that was Colorado. So and you know what else? You, you know what you don't get in the playoffs? You don't get the San Jose Sharks in the playoffs. So you're tired. Yeah. You have all those same, same uh, criteria, all the same circumstances, and you don't get to face the San Jose Sharks. You face teams way better. So uh, that doesn't bode well. And, and yet I thought uh, his criticism of the team after the game was still reasonably narrow. I think he could have gone further. I think he uh, chose not to. Can I ask you about Nils Oman? Because, boy, on Friday, Jeff, gets called up, signs a tier extension, has a two-point night, and my head is like, wow, the possibilities here, if this guy is ready to be an NHL centerman. Uh, take me through Nils Oman's weekend, the uh, first time we've seen him in Canucks Colors this year. Yeah, great afternoon for an evening to get the call for Nils Amon and get plugged right in there. And he was terrific. You're right. Uh, you know what the, sort of caught my eye right off the bat was uh, he got plugged in as a penalty killer and ended up among the ice time leaders for the Canucks on, on Friday at, at Climate Pledge. Uh, unfortunately, and maybe it speaks to the rigors of the NHL, uh, you know, as good as he was on Friday, he was pretty much non-existent on Saturday. And I'm not pinning the loss against the Sharks on Nils Amon, but... Uh, yeah, I mean, he wasn't able to keep his game certainly at the level that it was in his season debut. Uh, I'm curious about where it goes from here for him because at some point, Pia Suter is going to return to this lineup. And when he does, uh, he's going to be plugged right back in as the third line center. And Teddy Bluger is here now as well. So, you know, Amon still profiles very much as a depth player on this roster in this organization. But there are things to like there in terms of his size. His skating is decent at the NHL level. You know, I think there's an offensive ceiling, but to get two assists in his season debut, that was a nice story, part, a nice part of the story as well. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think a mixed bag for him in the weekend as it was for the hockey club, that uh, he looked a part of uh, this group 
on Friday against the Kraken. On Saturday, he was hard to find. And then in the third period, again, they leaned on other guys and his ice time, as you can imagine, you know, doesn't profile as a guy that's ever going to deliver a lot of offense, even though he had the two assists on Friday. So when you're down a goal and trying to mount a comeback, you know, I wasn't surprised that he was one of the guys that uh, was part of the, the group that saw the bench more than they saw the ice. Defensively, uh, do you want to see any rotation of the bottom of the defensive depth or or is the likes of Juleson that much better than the other options that are available to them? Yeah, it's uh, getting a little curious for me just in as much as uh, Kito Rossi got called up and he's played the one game uh, on this call-up and they continue to run out Juleson and Friedman. And those guys are trying. They're giving the Canucks what they can. But I think you saw on Saturday, guys, that the difference between having Quinn Hughes and Philip Aronik on the ice and on the ice a lot just tilts the sheet in the Canucks' favor. And uh, the difference then is what happens in those minutes when they're not on the ice, and that's when the Canucks run into trouble. And, you know, the first San Jose goal, it's uh, Myers and Friedman are out there as a defensive pairing. Uh, Ian Cole's been a pretty nice story for the Vancouver Canucks, but uh, you know he has his stick whacked by Mike Hoffman and basically puts the puck in his net and what turns into the game winner. Um, so I, the questions continue here. Like, what are they going to do about this defensive group? Carson Soucy's not going to be back until after Christmas. And so are they going to ride with what they've got? They bring up Cole McWard. They have the back-to-backs. He thought maybe that was an opportunity to, again, plug a new player into the lineup and see if he could help. Uh, and they elected to go with the same group. So I, I, I'm always one that believes that the coach's deployment of players tells you everything you need to know about what they're thinking. The fact that Akito Hiroshi is here and available and not being used, I, I just get the sense that Rick Tockett is, you know, he had the words about his fitness in the preseason. And I think maybe last year, those seven games when he came up, I uh, keep the level of competition in mind. It was garbage time across uh, the, you know, the, not across the league, but certainly the games that the Canucks were involved in. And yeah, Hiroshi looked all right, but I mean, these are the coaches, they go over the tape, they know what they're looking for. And there's something that's keeping Akito Hiroshi out of this lineup when he's here on an option for the Vancouver Canucks. So I do think that in the short term, uh, unless guys play themselves out of the lineup, it's going to be more of Juleson and Friedman, and the other guys are going to sit and watch. Yeah. Well, Lannon's injured. Jet Wu got injured yesterday. Um, and there's yet, not a lot of options. Well, but you still have. You call it a, a guy that the coach doesn't think is in shape and refusing to play him. Surely there's a better option. Is there, though? Surely. Like, like, well, Lannon and Wu would be the first guys you go to, wouldn't they? Like, who else is down there? That... Well, I remember, like, Guillaume Breesbos is a totally forgotten man in all of this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And injured in that uh, final week of the preseason and has been skating off and on, but is dealing with the uh, concussion issues and isn't an option now. So, I mean, I just point that out because I think he too would be in this conversation, but he's not available to the Vancouver Canucks either right now. Yeah. Um, are Irwin and Johansson hurt too? Because I'm just wondering if, if we're spitballing here that the coach absolutely has no use for him, um, would he have any kind of use for victorious Matt Irwin or, uh, Philip Johansson, or I mean, they've called up McWhorter here too. Yeah. Right. So why why not play him if you don't have use for the other guy? Um, Jeff, an interesting comment from Talkit Friday after the win in Seattle. Everybody is waiting for us to fall apart. Mm -hmm. Hmm. (laughs) Tells me that he's paid attention to some of the conversation around the Vancouver Canucks out there. And I guess as a former media panelist, we shouldn't be surprised there. What did you make of that remark? 
yeah, a lot of what you did that these guys tell you, they don't pay attention to the media until they do. And they know exactly what's being said and written about them. Um, yeah, I, I, it's funny that it came after a good win and a, a good team win with performances from the depth guys. Like I, I could have almost felt that being used as a distraction ploy after the game in Colorado, right? Like if you're trying to take some of the heat off your, your players, you throw out that sort of comment, but in, he saved it for a win. So the timing I think was more curious than anything, but uh, this sense that, yeah, people on the outside think that maybe this has been a mirage or the, the you know the fast start. And again, they weren't going to win twelve of their of every sixteen games they played. They just happened to go twelve, three, and one out of the gate. So there is going to be a little bit of regression. We've used that word an awful lot. I think we're seeing that in the here and now. But I, I don't know. Like, I, is anybody truly believing that the bottom is going to fall out on the Vancouver Canucks? Like, I, I think that there's enough there with their top-end players, whether it's Quinn Hughes, whether it's Thatcher Demko, whether it's JT Miller. Like, it just it feels hard to believe that, you know, right now we're watching Elias Patterson go through a tough time, but those other guys have still kept their games at extremely high levels, and I think that there's enough there to stabilize that the idea of the bottom falling out on the Vancouver Canucks, uh, I'm not sure that I'm buying that. So, um yeah, to me, it was just more the timing and sort of playing that card after a win uh, was what surprised me the most. Hey, yeah. If they have five and five and six and four, 10 game stretches the rest of the season, they'll have the last laugh because they're going to be comfortably in the playoffs. Uh, I would think so. Yeah. Uh, again, you know, those either huge injuries or five game losing streaks plus are, are the two things that tend to derail teams who got off to as good a start as the Vancouver Canucks. Lastly, Jeff, the week ahead here, mm-hmm. Anaheim Tuesday at home, Vegas at home on Thursday. What do you make of the week they're facing here. Yeah, well, the Oilers didn't do them any favors because I think the Ducks, uh, look, Anaheim is a nice story in the early going. They have sort of found their level now. And so they're not quite the San Jose Sharks, but the Canucks better bounce back. And, you know, if they lose to the Sharks and the Ducks in consecutive games, then I think some of these questions uh, are fair. I don't know that that necessarily means the bottom's falling out, but uh, opportunity presenting itself. It's Hockey Fights Cancer Night. On Tuesday at Rogers Arena, and of course, we all remember last year's Hockey Fights Cancer Night, I think it was December 3rd, Arizona in town, and that was uh, Brock Besser was hours away from being a healthy scratch uh, because of uh, his in, you know, just ineffectiveness at that point in the schedule. And Bruce Boudreaux, again, the whole storyline was he didn't know it was Hockey Fights Cancer Night. Besser ended up scoring that night. We remember his big reaction. Uh, fast forward a year, and here he is tied for the NHL goal scoring lead. So a remarkable redemption story uh, coming off the two the other night in San Jose for Brock Besser. So I think it's an opportunity. I, I mean, the Ducks obviously won't be happy with what happened to them in Edmonton. They got pummeled there. John Gibson came on in relief. I assume that they'll see John Gibson as the starter, but the Canucks should be worrying too much about the Ducks uh, focus internally and just try to uh, figure this thing out and get it moving in the right direction. And then, of course, that sets up Thursday with the first look at the Stanley Cup champs, the Vegas Golden Knights, and uh, their season has kind of mirrored the Canucks, right? Like they got out of the gates with 11 and 0 at one point, uh, but they had done so much of that at home. And much of November, they've been out on the road. When they arrive in Vancouver, that'll be eight of nine games away from uh, T Mobile. And you know, they have scuffled along a little bit. They got shut out the other night uh, at home by Arizona. So, you know, it wasn't just the Canucks losing to. San Jose, Arizona's a better team than the Sharks, but uh, Vegas got shut out by the Arizona Coyotes. So uh, when they arrive here on Thursday, that'll be three and four for them. They're in Calgary and Edmonton before then. 
but wouldn't it be terrific if the Canucks and Vegas are still separated by a point or tied for the division? Like, you know, again, we've talked in recent weeks about games with significance and heft and all that. Like, I think that should be one. Uh, it would be just the first visit of the season by the defending Stanley Cup champs, but the fact that you're right there neck and neck with them. So uh, curious to see what the Canucks do on Tuesday. How do they respond to this loss in San Jose? And then ultimately uh, on to Vegas on Thursday night or against Vegas on Thursday and into Calgary for a rematch with the Flames on Saturday. Night. Could have an 8-1-1 one, one home record before they face the Vegas Golden Knights if they're able to beat the Ducks. That'd yeah. be something to defend uh, on their home ice after uh, a really nice start to the season there. Well, just wait till the 9-0 on the road Kings get here. That would be mm-hmm. quite a clash. Mm-hmm. Uh, wonderful stuff, Unfor- Well, and unfortunately... They don't see the LA Kings until February 29th. Okay, so, at all? In, e- in either market? Nope. And then really? they see them they see them four times in 16 games. So you think about if the Canucks and Kings are on a collision course in the 2-3 in the Pacific Division, they're going to see each other four times between February 29th and the end of the season and then possibly uh, a best of seven. Again, we're getting way ahead of ourselves here. But yeah, it's been a quirky schedule. They're finished with San Jose before Christmas. Edmonton's made two of it, both of its visits already this season. The Kings are like they're out there. They're playing in a different league and they'll return to the National Hockey League in late February. Uh, for a matchup with the Vancouver Canucks. You know, that's probably best because you don't want to face Mm -hmm. them right now, so let them cool (laughs) off, let them have their time. Absolutely. Circle back around a little later. And uh, four times in 16 games, then potentially in a best of seven. Good thing they don't have a Dustin Brown type player. (laughs) True. That annoyance accidentally on purpose falling on your goaltender all the time. Jeff, wonderful stuff. Thanks for this. We'll catch up Friday. All right, guys. Sounds good. Oh, to the people. To the people. We, let's, yes. let's go to those people, shall we? Have to go to the people. I miss the people there. Been a long, frustrating time for people here. To the people we go. To the people we go, brought to you by our friends at Finning. And I know Black Friday is sort of in our rearview mirror, but that doesn't mean that the Finning Black Friday sale is over. No, no, still on. If you need something for the job site now or will need something soon, go to finning.com slash Black Friday and or scan the QR code. Check the great deals on new used and rental equipment as well as parts and service. The deals won't be available for much longer. For Finning Cat location near you, for more information, check out all the deals for the Black Friday sale. Go to finning.com slash Black Friday. Results from Friday's poll question is scratching Andre Kuzmenko the right call. 61% of you said yes. The comments reflected that. Here's Ron. I'm not sure, but as far as I'm concerned, Talkin deserves to have the faith of the fan base, so I'll continue to trust him. Kuzmenko's bananas. Yes, he needs a wake-up call. Mike in Portland, simple yes. Kuzi took a puck to the face. Regardless of the agents used to treat the pain, the reality is that fear sets in. Kuzi's best is when he's aggressive around the net front, and there's a hesitation there now, justifiably. Just needs a bit more time to be right. Jeff and I talked about that on the rink wide after he got hit in the face with the puck. You know, that's, um, especially with the scene, you know, writhing in pain, kicking his legs and stuff like that. You know, that might that's something that could make you think twice. I don't think it has anything to do with those two games that he played since the since coming back. I don't think it has any I think this is a this was a an accumulation yellow card. I, I think it was an accumulation yellow card, but uh, you know, I, I do wonder whether, you know, Talkett saw a distinct change after taking the puck to the face. Uh Tyler says, no, I said it before this crack and scratch, and I will say it again. Without Kuz, 
the EP line doesn't generate enough offense five on five. He is a playmaker, and without him, they go quiet. Jim says he does you no good on the third or fourth line, so it's either top six or press box. And then JJM sees, I'd like to see Kuzi on Joshua's line and give them more minutes. They had great chances. He would have finished some of those. For Jim and James, I mean, how do you know he does you no good on the third or fourth line? He's never been there. You know, you you put him there and you say, buddy, work your ass off. And if I see that, we'll see you back in the top six. Mm-hmm. I mean, to me, that again, I said this last week, that would have been my first step rather than taking him out of the lineup. Mm-hmm. Especially against a, a lesser light like the San Jose Sharks. Like, would he have not helped them feast on, on the Sharks? Hot take from JC. Listen to this. Broncos go 11 and 6, make the playoffs, and Russell Wilson wins MVP. Whoo! He's playing better. Well, so is the team. They've won five in a row after dispatching the Browns on Sunday. And there's some good wins in there, too, against Buffalo, against Kansas City, against the Green Bay team that looks a little better now. They're on the road here for three in a row. Which you don't see a lot of in the NFL. No. They're into Houston, who are a little more desperate now after losing that Jacksonville game. Boy, crossbar and out. Uh, they're into the Chargers, and who knows where the Chargers will be in a couple of weeks. You wonder if Staley may be the next coach fired. Then they're into Detroit. Then home to New England, home to the Chargers, and at the Raiders. So four of the next six on the road. But some winnable games there. I mean, I, I I don't see six in a row to make it an 11-game winning streak. But making the playoffs is something I could see at this stage of the game. Yeah, it's a pretty yeah. mediocre, Yeah, uh, as we have talked about, it's a pretty mediocre AFC. There's a lot of bunch. There's a lot of jumble there in the midfield. Just looking up their playoff odds now, according to ESPN analytics. And, you know, this is an interesting chart at this time of year. It gives you a sense of what teams are looking at for the rest of the way. Um, Broncos would be, they are making the playoffs. Denver is 30% bet right now. I like it. I can't sizzle it. I'll go hot, JC. I'll go hot as well. Tell hot, me, hot, hot. Tell me I'm wrong. Josh Allen flops as much as Neymar. It's from Adam, the former well, the, bath guy. I mean, flopping in the standings is the bigger concern for Josh Allen right now. I mean, Broncos make the playoffs. Bills don't. How about that as a hot take? Mm. I mean, who to thunk sizzle. it? Who to thunk it? Mm-hmm. Uh, Colin and the Caribou talking about the Abbotsford Canucks, the notable injuries to potential call-ups. Christian Milanen missing games. Archie Baines missing games. Jet Wu missing games. Uh, but he notes on the plus side, Atu Ratu has looked good this season. He keeps improving. Well, uh, after a tough start, too. So good on Ratu. Love this one from Basketball Phil. Hot take. A Canadian will finish in the top three in the NBA this season, SGA. Just but- the scoring? Yes, but there won't be a Canadian in the top five of the NHL scoring race. You had been tracking uh, um, uh, Canadian players 
Well, Kale McCarr is there at number five right now at 30 points. Braden Point at 29 per, uh, points is tied for six. McKinnon, McDavid eating up. Yeah, Mc, McKinnon, uh, Reinhardt, are your, and McDavid are, are your next three. I mean, I think one of them will yeah. get to yeah. the top I, five. I, I, can't sizzle it, Phil. I'll go hot, though. I'm going to go Luke. But what? I, but the reason I wanted to read it is it inspired me to update another file that we've been looking at, mm. and that is Canadian goaltending. Mm. Yes. Where Canadian goaltenders do abound now. It's just that mm, they're not the ones that you necessarily believe in. Like, th- think about the next Canadian Olympic team. Is it going to be led by Aiden Hill? Is that who's going to be the the Canadian Stanley goaltender? Stanley Cup champion? You know, like is is that is that the next one? Um, there's a bunch of Canadian goalkeepers now at the top of the of the stats list, but are they guys that you're going to want to lean on? Logan Thompson. You know, another the, Vegas. Are these our Olympic goaltenders? <laughs> Just take whoever Tristan Vegas is Jari. Tristan Jari's near the top now in stats. Delta's Tristan Jari. Yeah. Tata hot. Cam Talbot. No. 36-year-old Cam Talbot. See that old? Has got a 931 save percentage in 13 starts. Wow. Talbot ain't making the next Olympics. You wouldn't then. think so? He'd be 39 years old. But, my, you know... We we wondered where the Canadian keepers were going to be. They are there. We just don't trust the names necessarily. Honest AB, some time ago I texted to say that it was almost impossible to be a 30-goal scorer if you didn't get first power play unit time. And the criticism of Besser was unfounded unless and, unless and until he got significant time on the Canucks power play. This year he's on power play one, has 15 goals in 22 games. Barring injury, he looks good for 30 or more. So tell me I was wrong. There's a lot of people dunking on their Brock Besser takes Honest AB. Yeah, get in line. Mm-hmm. Um, so can't tell you're wrong. Of course, it's been a very injury-prone player. So he's off to a fantastic start. Let's see if he can maintain. Let's see if he can stay healthy, too. He also is a guy that... But should get 30 at ...has been stage. prone to be scoring in bunches, too, mm-hmm. right? Like, he's got a lot of multi-goal games this year. Um, and that's neither here nor there. That's not a criticism. But it's it's a, he's, he's a funny guy to track... Because you think he's gone cold, and then he puts a two-goal night up mm-hmm. on the board. So he's uh, he's an interesting guy. On scratching Kuzmenko, Go Canucks Gus says, if it's just for the two games, then yes, it's the right call. He's responded well last year when he got healthy scratch, and he seems to come back from those instances even more motivated. As a coach that preaches accountability, Talkett has to do this from time to time, although there are other players that could should receive the same treatment. But hopefully the message gets Across the room. Samuel, Petey hasn't been on his game, but Kuzmenko hasn't helped at all. The play dies whenever he gets the puck. Not saying Petey isn't to blame at all, but Kuzmenko is certainly a factor to consider. Wade says, can't score goals if you don't shoot the puck. 28 shots in 20 games is not enough. Needs more looks. Fair point. Very fair point. Rubber Ducky says, how about scratching Jolson? Oh, wait. Jolson's played... Uh, He's been better of late. Yeah, he has. Got to give him credit. He, his, For sure. His mistakes are loud, but, um, I mean, 
it's not like anyone's clamoring to see somebody else instead of Juleson because there's mm-hmm. not a lot of guys that make sense to to take a look at right now. So it is what it is for now. I'm not going to say that he's seven next... straight games for the Canucks. Out of necessity, too. yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, I, I do trust Juleson more than I would trust throwing in McWard right now. So Really? Yeah. Okay. Uh, on shaking up the lines, Matt writes, I'm seeing too much Beauvillier. Rob w, uh, on Rob W's hit with us, Christopher says, Miller is less than 20 games into his new contract. I'll talk about value in three years since the team hasn't had a playoff run. It was a waste of money. We knew going in an eight-year deal for a 30-year-old would age badly. But I get it when contenders do it because they're close and taking a run at the Canucks. The Canucks haven't made a, a taken a run at the Cup. The Canucks haven't made the playoffs legitimately in almost a decade. Last time I saw a team make moves like that under similar circumstances, the GM was Mike Milbury. Uh, anyways, he goes on. Um, yeah, it's probably a little early to talk about the value on Miller's contract, given that it is just the first year. Of course, remember last year he was playing on the old deal. As Van Van's SK24 says, so far he has the lowest expected goals percentage of 5-on-5 five five of his career and the lowest high danger, Corsi, uh, as well so it's uh the underlying stats are not great for jt miller's line as a whole that's why a lot of people are uh you know pushing for pdg to come off that line anyhow to try to Mm -hmm. sort of up the quality uh but still miller's finding a way to make a difference particularly with the man advantage and lastly on kuzmenko and if he doesn't fit on the first line where does he play bobby says his skill level only works on the top two lines he's tits on a bull on the third or fourth line he can't play hard play d and score with the possibly the best center in the league he has serious intelligence slash character issues. Whoa. Whoa. Based on what? I wanted them to trade him for max value last year. Those are big accusations. And bridges too far without more yeah. evidence. Harrison Price from Wall Center presentation. Applewood Auto Group. You can text us 778-402-9680. It's the Great Clips text message inbox. Great Clips. It's going to be great. Errors and omissions from Friday's program. Self-reporting. I mentioned that Thatcher Demko was 11th in save percentage and... um, goals against average in the NHL. There were some guys ahead of him with awfully small samples. In fact, in a couple of cases, one game. So he's actually better than that. He was actually a top 10 goaltender going into the weekend in save percentage and goals against average. Yeah, I can imagine that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anything from the inbox, Mr. Sass? Nada. Ah, moving on to the Betway bets of the day. Hero World Challenge from the Bahamas this week, where Tiger Woods is making his long-awaited return to competitive golf, has not played since withdrawing from the Masters, and he is the longest shot on the board, limited field, at 71-1. to Sadly, I can't bet Charlie Woods here. You were hoping to. I was really hoping to. Mm -hmm. See the kid back off a drive on the weekend? And looked exactly like his father. Stopped the swing midway through 
and just casually backed off. I do that all the time. You never say, Blake, you're just like Tiger Woods. Mm. So I'm going to take Woods family friend here, Justin Thomas, at 17-1, to 1, hoping he's fixed his game after last year's struggles. I'm going to go to the NFL Thursday Nighter. It's do or die time for the Seahawks. Dallas, baby. 4-10 on the Seahawks. So not only do you wow, do you get to cheer on your team perhaps, mm-hmm. but uh, you might be able to make some dough as well because 4-10. It's, it's a big ask on the road against a very good team. Yeah. But this is the season. haven't lost at home since, what, 13, 14 games? I mean, I know they can make the playoffs still if they, even if they do mm-hmm. sink back to 500, but they get back sort of into a driver's seat at 7-5 and five if they sure. can win. So this is it, Gino. Let's perform. There you go. Now or never, Gino, yeah. especially with the Rams coming. On your Betway, bets of the day must be 19-plus to play. Please play responsibly. Thanks for listening, everybody. A reminder, subscribe to us. Rinkwide Connects Conversation wherever you get your podcast. Follow on social, Twitter, Insta, Facebook, TikTok, and YouTube. And, of course, support the community sponsors you hear us talking about. Keep it local.